All Things Eisen podcast. Welcome to this week's episode, which is all about information for first timers who are visiting Iceland. And what's funny is that, of course, you know, I've had my first time visiting and I will share in the random fact of the episode just a little about my first time and how I had my, you know, different things that felt shocking because Iceland is a place where there are things that are so amazing about it, just like the sunny nature, but there are other aspects that you're just not expecting because it's a different country, maybe just how things are done are different than where you're from or slightly unfamiliar. So I figured I'd make this episode to pinpoint 12 of those to be exact of like, if you're coming for the first time to Iceland, here are some things that would be really helpful for you to know just to manage your expectations. It doesn't mean that you still won't have some type of feeling about the things I talk about or reaction to them, but at least you'll know beforehand and it will in some ways soften the blow for the things that might be a little bit more uncomfortable. But for the most part, I think some of these things for many people will just be overall helpful and interesting to know. And of course, I always love to know if you're listening to this, you've been to Iceland before, definitely let me know in the comment section on allthingsiceland.com of this podcast episode and, you know, just, just kind of get some insights because it's always kind of fun to hear what other people's experiences are as well. Before I jump into it, I have a awesome announcement to make. And this is something that has been in the works for a while, and it has to do with the All Things Iceland merch shop that has officially opened. And I'm just so excited about this because I've been designing, first of all, an All Things Iceland cup, which says All Things Iceland in English with a mountain on one side. And then the other side says Atsimer Islandsk, which is basically all which is Icelandic. So it's a rough translation of all things Iceland. And the cup is colorful. I mean, you can pick six different colors. My favorite is black, just because I think it looks really sleek and beautiful, in my opinion. But because the holidays are coming up too, I also have put out some mugs that have a really adorable puffin with a Santa hat on that says Glelelek Yol, which means Merry Christmas. And then it says Merry Christmas in English. On the other side, so it's Icelandic and English, and one that says Gledelega Hautith, which means Happy Holidays. So for those who might not necessarily celebrate Christmas, but want to have a puffin in a, in a holiday festive hat for, you know, the upcoming season, along with those mugs I mentioned, I also have wall art, such as posters on premium matte museum quality paper, and stretch canvas. So these the posters come rolled up, but the stretch canvas are already, when you get them delivered, ready to go to hang. I mean, you just have to put the little mount on it, but they're just beautiful. I have one of them in my house now of sunset at Kirkjufetk on Snæfellsnes Peninsula. And it is just gorgeous. It almost feels like you can just step into the picture. It's a picture, but when it's on the stretch canvas, it almost looks like a painting. And I just absolutely love it. So there are different, really beautiful landscapes in Iceland, such as like ice caves or whales and the sea, things like that. So you can check that out. And it's on my subdomain, 
shop.allthingslicensed.com. Of course, it's going to be in the show notes. And if you happen to go to allthingslicensed.com, in the main navigation is a shop button for you to navigate there. So you can find it in many different places. And lastly, category-wise of the things I have on there are reusable bags that also have prints on them. And it's all over the bag. So I've been using these bags for months now, just testing them out, making sure they hold up to 44 pounds, I believe, of weight. So I usually use them as my shopping bags. But of course, you can use them, you know, for whatever you please. And I just think it's really cool that you can basically walk around with a piece of art. It's aesthetic landscapes that are really rich in color. So if you want to get a piece of Iceland for yourself or a loved one or maybe both, you can definitely check out shop.allthingsiceland.com. And for those who sign up for my newsletter, if you're already signed up, you will have seen that I sent out a 10% discount code. But if you have not signed up for my newsletter, the All Things Iceland newsletter, I highly recommend that you do so that you can get 10% off your first purchase on the store. That's just my like kickoff discount for everybody. I encourage you to check it out because maybe you'll find a great gift this holiday season for someone you want to give a piece of Iceland to. Okay, now let's get into these things that surprise or shock first timers to Iceland. And I'm just going to say also that I've made a video about this some time ago, but I only talked about seven things in that video. So this is an extended version. So if you watch the video, you actually find that there's more things on this list than in the video. And if you haven't watched it, I will also have that in the show notes if you want to watch it just, you know, to maybe you enjoy listening and watching on YouTube. Up to you. No judgment for sure. And I'm just going to jump right in, though, regarding the money is number one and number one, not in terms of most important to know or most shocking, but just one that immediately comes to mind for me being from the United States and seeing such large denominations for something that is relatively inexpensive in Iceland. It is not unusual if you're going to go to the store and buy, let's say a couple of candy bars and it ends up being a thousand Icelandic kroner. And of course, a thousand of anything sounds like a lot. But as many of us know about like the devaluing of currency and inflation, all these things, this roughly, if you use this little trick that I was taught some time ago, helps you to break it down. So, and this is more specifically for people from the US, but the idea is if you divide by a hundred, you get an idea of how much this thing would be in US dollars. So a thousand Icelandic kroner divided by a hundred is 10. Now the actual currency exchange in terms of the rate is probably different. I'm sure it is. You can look that up, you know, on Google if you want. But if you're in a store, you're not usually just walking around with like your phone and putting in numbers like, oh, 100,000 or whatever. So just because you're taking it at a glance, this is just a helpful trick because it can be really hard for your brain to comprehend seeing like all these zeros when you're not used to it, as well as the placement of the dot and the comma in Icelandic in terms of currency is different if you are from places where, say in the US, $1,000 would be one comma zero zero zero. Whereas in Iceland, 1,000 Icelandic kroner is one 
dot zero zero zero. And then any change after that is actually separated with a comma. <laughs> so it is switched, which used to get me all the time. And I was like, oh, wait, no, uh, in terms of writing out the money, it's not that my brain couldn't comprehend it. And it's just something that it takes a little bit getting used to. And I know there were times where I would look at something, I think it was like a jacket and it was 50,000. I sent it kroner. And I was like, oh yeah, it's no big deal. And then dividing by a hundred and it's like, oh wait, no, it's $500. Now I'm not buying that. <laughs> and so this can help, like I mentioned, just to give you a ballpark figure. And if you do want to do something exact, you can of course look it up. But the other part regarding the money that for first timers, especially from places in the U.S. where it can vary by, I think, state, how much they charge for taxes is that tax is included in the price. So the price that you see on the tag is what you pay at the counter. I tell you, it's mind blowing <laughs> when you do it because you're just like, this is so simple and amazing. But you're also like, wait, you sure? Nothing else added on top? I think this might be a specifically U.S. problem. I'm not sure. If it isn't, I'd love to know in the comments if you also, where you're from, have to encounter that. Because it can be quite annoying in terms of calculations. My last thing regarding money here has to do with the VAT, value-added tax, which is 24% in Iceland. Yeah. It's very high. And that itself, if you're buying like a Lopa Pesa, can be refunded back to you. So if you go to the, let's just say Icelandic Knitting Association, where that's where I get my Icelandic sweaters, and you pay for the sweater, like I mentioned, let's say it's 30000 so somewhere around like $300, the tax of so that 24% when you go to the airport, they will give you all the information for this. They'll ask you if you're a tourist or whatever, and you want to get the tax back. So I'll give you that slip for it. And you just go to this counter in the airport, Keplavik Airport, before you check in, before you go through security, excuse me. So you do check in with your tickets and everything. But before you go upstairs for security, go to this desk. And I think it's near like the Joe and the Juice, but don't quote me. It depends on when you go. I mean, they can always change their desk location, but they will refund you that money and it will show up on your card after some days. So that's just also a really nice fact regarding money and something for first timers to know, because then you can make these larger purchases and know that you're getting 24% of that amount back as long as you go to claim it at the airport. So important. Okay. Number two has to do with alcohol and food being so expensive. Oh my goodness. And this is something that being from New York City, like being from a large city, helped in the way that I've encountered places where things are really expensive, but I also encountered places where you can get really inexpensive food. And in Iceland, there isn't this same range, like the range is much smaller. And a lot of it has to do with paying employees a fair price in terms of for living wages and different overhead and of course this like value added tax that goes on top of it. So there's, you know, different aspects as to why things are import tax for food, for <laughs> different things. And at the same time though, there is a part when it comes to the alcohol in particular that makes it extra expensive. And that's because it's very heavily taxed in Iceland. And it's this is the state that owns the alcohol stores and who sell the alcohol and they're only open I think like six days out of the week and specific hours 
And Jack Daniels, for instance, this is one I like to use as an example and not a special, you know, single barrel edition, whatever. No, just a regular Jack Daniels that's a thousand milliliters is $84 roughly, right? And I think if you go to the store now, wherever you are, it might cost you, and if you're in the U.S., somewhere between like 25 to maybe $33, something around that. That's the range I looked up. So very heavily taxed, and it's taxed more, it, you know, the cost is more depending on how strong the alcohol is. I think this is, you know, the state being like, we don't want people to drink, so we're going to kind of like, you know, put it on the person who would be purchasing it. People still drink a lot here. And even though there's local breweries and things like that, it doesn't necessarily equate to the prices being lower. Of course, there are happy hours, which are nice. And if you don't drink, then you save a lot of money. But if you do, I always highly recommend to go to duty free. So when you get off the plane, you're about to enter Iceland, like before you collect your bags, the duty free place, you can stock up on alcohol according to how much you're allowed, like wine and all these things. I also tell people, if you have a specific alcohol, especially a hard liquor that you like to drink, bring it with you to Iceland. It will save you a lot of money. And of course, you can go to happy hours, like I mentioned. Food-wise, it is usually something that a lot of people talk about that is expensive. And it can easily be that you're spending $100 a day just for one person for meals. So those who are on the more budget side, you can, of course, cook your food if you're going to be at a place that has a kitchen like Airbnb or, you know, a bed and breakfast that allows you to cook or one of these guest houses. And that has for sure saved a lot of people money or those who are camping, things of that nature. But otherwise, I mean, if you do plan on going out, just be mindful with your budget in terms of how much you set aside for that. It's always great when you don't have to care and you just be like, I don't know, I'm going to spend whatever. Great. But everybody has a range. And so I like to at least give some people fair warning about keeping that in mind that food is quite expensive and you know someone sent me a message about a dive bar and I was like well you might find a dive bar that has the feel of a dive bar but not the prices <laughs> and even their happy hour would still be quite expensive for happy hours other places like instead of being 1200 isk which is around 12 dollars to 15 dollars for the drink maybe it's 10 maybe just maybe you might get it for like nine, even eight dollars. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't really go much lower than that. And it can be a little frustrating, you know, in terms of the amount of money, because if you're comparing it, so FYI. Okay. Number three is something that really surprises many people who haven't been to Iceland has to do with speaking English and Icelanders ability to speak English so well. A lot of them absorb media from the U.S., from English-speaking countries like U.K., Australia. Of course, their neighbors who don't speak English primarily, meaning like in the other Nordic countries. During World War II and, of course, after that, there's so much influence of U.S. culture in Iceland. So a lot of Icelanders have you know, grown up with listening or watching movies, shows, just reading books, things of that nature. So their English is amazing. And I'd say those who probably had the hardest time with English would be those who are much, much older. 
Now, it can vary, too, with people who are using English daily. There are those who work in the tourism section who, of course, might speak English a lot more often. And then there are those who maybe they're an accountant and all they, the only people they talk to are really other Icelanders. They don't have as much time to practice. But once they get into the groove of it, they're usually amazing. And it's kind of sweet sometimes. Icelanders are like, oh, no, my English is terrible. And it's like, well, in comparison to the majority of the world's Icelandic you're definitely doing amazing. <laughs> and so it's like a weird insecurity that some people have about it, even though, like I mentioned, the majority, like 90% or something of Icelanders speak English well. So if you're coming in worried about whether or not you'll be able to communicate, if you speak English, you won't, won't have a problem. If you want to use Icelandic, which I do recommend, and I have an episode about Icelandic phrases that you can use while you travel. I'll try to remember to link to that in the show notes. I highly recommend it, even if it's just golden dayin. Icelanders and anyone really, they love to hear it when people try their language. And, you know, maybe they might get a giggle if you say it a little bit wrong, but I think it would just also warm their heart and open them up a little bit more because Icelanders feel like they can be a little bit of a hard nut to crack in the beginning. I think they come across as somewhat reserved, a little shy. And this is definitely a way to open them up. So I recommend going for it. Okay, number four is, and I've heard this in some of my videos on YouTube, that people think that there are no trees in Iceland. There's like absolutely none. And like there's been rumors going around, but basically like, you know, Iceland, you can go out into the countryside and see hardly a tree, but there are definitely trees in Iceland. There are forests, technically, <laughs> in comparison to other places in the world. When you think of a forest, you might be like, oh, it's, that's cute. <laughs> you have You have trees. But they do have a forest, but there are forests. There's one in particular in the east, which is really beautiful. But Icelandic trees, the sort of native Icelandic trees, were the ones that were in abundance when settlers came were birch. And they're just shorter. And so that's why you have this joke, <laughs> this kind of really old joke. And if you've been to Iceland before, you know what I'm going to say. But for those who are first timers, which is probably you listening to this, is this a tour a tour guide will probably ask you if you ever get lost in the Icelandic forest, what do you do? And then you know they wait as people are bewildered and trying to think, and they're like, just stand up <laughs> because the trees are so short. And so when you come to Iceland and you go, you know, maybe to a birch forest or or near a birch tree, you'll see exactly what I mean. They're tiny, but mighty because they have to put up with this wind, which is intense. So. These trees get my kudos just for the mere fact that they're surviving in this land unprotected. Number five has to do with roundabouts. So in many places, roundabouts are dealt with if you have to drive to them. If you're not, then not how to do it, then this will be kind of more challenging or feel that way if you encounter them. And there are some if you're going out of the city. And in, and I mean, when I say that, the ones to be cautious of just so you don't cause an accident are the two lane roundabouts one lane roundabout it's fairly simple you know you just go in and there's not much happening there it's, i think most people will understand those pretty well the two lane ones though in iceland the inner lane has the right of way whereas in other places like in other parts of europe the outer lane has the right of way i have encountered people while i was driving who thought that they could just go and it's like no and thankfully there was no accident when I was there but it could be a little scary especially when there's a lot of tourists 
And there are people who are not even driving in the lanes in their other cars and they don't even realize what they're doing. I think they're not freaking out, but they're just not mindful or just winging it because the roundabout's there, they're in the car, they have to get to the location and it's almost like close your eyes and drive. So please don't do that. Just be mindful that if a person in the inner lane wants to leave, you can stop. Like you can actually break and that's okay. Meaning if you're, you have to keep going around the circle or, you know, you want to enter and that person's exiting. So that's just something visual that's in the video that I show. Like I mentioned, that will be in the show notes because I just want to help people avoid any accidents as much as possible. Number six has to do with the smell of sulfur. Yeah. So in Iceland, geothermal energy is amazing. One of the coolest things about living here is that we have an abundance of hot water and they use geothermal energy to also light up the houses. Not every house. This, you know, there's some places where they need to use hydroelectric power and that's totally cool too. And when it comes though to it, that some of the sources, there's like a pumped, you know, in sulfur smell that comes with this, you know, resource that you're getting from these, you know, natural places. And it can be that when you turn on the hot water in Iceland, it smells like rotten eggs. <laughs> and that is not something that appeals to the majority of people, including myself. I've gotten used to it, though. I cannot even smell it hardly unless it's very, very strong, like going to a hot spring area that has like bubbling hot springs that are so hot, you know, you can't get inside of them. It's just would burn your skin off or something. So those places have very, very strong sulfur that you can immediately smell. But from showers or like hot water, I really don't smell it anymore. So I do know you can get used to it because I never thought that I would. But here I am <laughs> telling you this today. And so, yeah, that raw egg smell, just when you shower, it will evaporate away. It won't stay with you. So just FYI, if you turn on the cold water, which the water from the tap in Iceland is amazing. It's some of the best water in the world. That does not smell like rotten eggs. So you can drink that uh, with no problem. And you can drink the hot water too. Nothing and it will hurt you. You'll be totally fine. Number seven is that in the summertime, in certain areas, having a net, a fly net will be really beneficial, especially in the Mivat area in the north. Granted, now there's been like these flies, really annoying flies that actually are biting and they've been getting into people's summer homes and biting people at night. It's it's really even you know hard because so many people in the summer we look forward to going to a cabin, chilling out, enjoying the weather or the all-day brightness. And so it sucks to go to bed and normally you could just have the window open, but then you might get bitten by these little flies. So there are a lot more like nets uh, that are being put up on windows and things. But if you go out to Mibat, you would benefit from having one of those nets to go over your head. I usually, and the really, really thin, they're really thin and light, but close, the, the holes are basically so small that, you know, nothing can really get through them. And on Amazon, there are different nets that you can get. I, I own some of these for us just to make sure that we are prepared. And I've been to Mivat. Thankfully, I've never encountered these flies like in abundance. 
but it can happen. And summer is the most popular time for most people to travel around Iceland. So something to keep in mind. It shouldn't be an expensive item for you to get, but it will be one that you will be very thankful to have. Because those flies get in your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your ears. Like it's just annoying. And it's shocking in a way that will make you feel uncomfortable because you're not enjoying the atmosphere. You can't, you just want to get back in the car and just get away from them. Next up is having to encounter one lane bridges. And this is on the countryside in Iceland. I, I'm not entirely sure why they keep rebuilding one lane bridges. I've seen in some areas where they're starting to make them two lanes. I think in the past, it might've had to deal with resources in terms of like expanding the road and how much time it would take or something. I'm not really hundred percent sure, but the idea of these one lane bridges is that basically you show up if someone's already there, it's closer to like getting onto the bridge then they, they normally go, you wait and then the next person goes and then, you know, back and forth like this. It can be very annoying. <laughs> and in neighborhoods in Iceland, like I live in Mosfetsbyet, which we are actually moving to Sabjernes, but in Moso, there are some places where they have also this one lane entering and they do that for crosswalks or areas where they want to slow the traffic. Maybe it's like around a school or something like that. So yeah, it's, it helps with managing the traffic speeds and things of that nature. But <laughs> on a road trip out in the countryside, it can just feel very annoying. And the number after that, meaning coming up next, number nine, is a one-lane tunnel, which is a lot more stress-inducing for me. And I separated them because you don't encounter one-lane tunnels as much as you encounter one-lane bridges. I know in the West Fjords and in the North, meaning Northern area that is not off in the West Fjords, there are one lane tunnels. I have been through a decent amount of them to know that, first of all, it's going to work out okay. <laughs> it's, it's not that bad. There are areas. So, okay, usually the way it works, and I have to like frame my brain around this to explain it because I know for many people, this is just so shocking is when you go into the tunnel, if you're on a certain side where you see there's dips to stop for a car to pull over, that means that you're the car that has to pull over for the ones that are coming toward you. And normally, you know, for most people who do this and Icelanders who live here, they're kind of pretty good at like seeing that a car is coming and having a good idea of like, oh, when they should pull over. The thing is, if you're driving and you see headlights of a car, you can just pull over and wait. Car goes by, you go back again. And it might be that, you know, you see there's it's a couple of cars that are coming by, so you have to wait. But these are not normally places where there's ridiculously high traffic or anything. So you're just like sitting there for an hour waiting for cars to come by. It's usually just a few minutes or so. I think the most uncomfortable part about it is that you are anticipating a car coming you're just afraid of of course being in an accident or something so you want to make sure that you pull over and a good way to understand the rule is that if you are driving and on your right hand side is where the dip is meaning it's easier for you to pull over you wouldn't have to be a car that would be coming like it wouldn't be on your left hand side then you're all good to go 
And just as FYI, Icelanders drive on the same side in terms of the car as in the United States. So that too is not something that would be trouble for people who are used to driving on that side. And yeah, most of you probably will not encounter this on your first trip to Iceland and maybe never if you don't go to these regions. I highly recommend that you do. But of course, you know, that is up to you. And even in the West Fjords, like you don't have to encounter a one lane tunnel unless you're going to go a certain route. There's multiple ways in order to get to Isafjordur, for instance. And many of the roads there are also nothing to do with tunnels. But I just wanted to mention this because it is something that is unusual. <laughs> and I remember showing a one lane tunnel on my Instagram stories and people being like, what? No, I got the amount of direct messages I got from that was pretty epic because I understood that feeling. It's it's pretty scary and or seemingly scary if you do not understand how it works. OK, so number 10 is less about being shocking, but just being prepared. And it's that the preferred method for paying in Iceland is by card 100 percent. i use apple pay which is by card but like my phone or like your watch if you're using a watch that's apple pay or google pay or whichever method of electronic payment you want to use that doesn't mean you have to fully like pull a card out of your wallet purse or whatever and at the same time though even though cards are preferred over cash there are some places where cash will be useful and it's fading out i feel like but say Skogafoss, which is a really popular waterfall here in the south coast. If you go to the bathroom there, they will want you to pay uh on like it's by the honor system of putting some Icelandic kroner into the box. I think it's like two hundred Icelandic kroner. So two dollars, like less than two dollars two dollars. So there are some places where having cash is helpful, but they're also setting up machines for this where it's like a turnstile and you can play by your card or your phone or whatever. So it's possible in the future when you come that might be faded out. Number 11 is for those who want to meet some locals. I always recommend going to a local swimming pool, but there is a caveat that comes along with this. It has to do with the fact that at a local swimming pool, you're expected to shower naked and the locker rooms are based off of gender. And so usually the way it works is you go in, you take your clothes off. Well, first of all, when you come into the place, you know, you pay, take off your shoes and designate area, we leave your shoes. And then you go into the locker room, you strip naked and it's usually like an open area and you have your towel and stuff. And you leave your towel in this designated area as well, right next to the showers, go in, you shower because they want you to shower off before going into the pools to keep it cleaner. And I mean, with soap and everything, like that's part of the whole deal. And there are some places like Loyadal's Loeg where they have people actually watching because it's a larger volume. So there's like a person's job as a shower monitor is to just make sure that people are doing that. And if they see someone who maybe doesn't know the rule and tries to go straight to the pool, they might stop you and say, hey, excuse me, you know, we this is how we do this here, blah, blah, blah. Now, in that bigger one, they've changed it so there are stalls. So not the whole place, but there is still open area. But there are some stalls where people want to do it privately they can and some of the smaller local pools though like they don't really have that luxury of space so you're just used to showering in front of other people and i'm not to say that you know don't be prude or something because everybody has a different comfort level but this is 
what the tradition is or the expectation, I should say, is. And there are Icelanders who, if they see that you don't do it, they'll let you know. Not not everybody is the same way, but there are some who are helpful. <laughs> Others, you might be like a little annoyed because they don't want to get into a pool with someone who maybe has like, you know, who dirtied up faster or sweat or whatever else. Like the whole point is just to make it the whole experience more enjoyable for everybody. So just know that in advance. And number 12, last but certainly not least, that might surprise some first timers ice. I know it surprised me is that it feels like you're in another world and you can feel like you're in multiple worlds. There are glaciers here that can make you feel like you're, uh, you know, on some foreign planet. and there's areas that have red dirt that look like Mars. And it's just so beautiful. The green, sometimes neon green looking moss in the summertime. And then moon landscapes in certain areas, the snow and how it becomes a winter wonderland. Absolutely amazing. So these are just some things that can shock or surprise first timers to Iceland. So now you know, definitely pass this along to other people who you know are planning to come. Just so that, like I mentioned, they can manage expectations and feel free to let me know in the comments if any of these shocked you or, you know, you're like, no, I don't want to. And I should probably add also with the pool thing is that if you go to places like the Blue Lagoon, Sky Lagoon, their options, I believe, I know for sure in the Sky Lagoon that you can get like private shower stalls. So depending on the luxury of the place, meaning places that are meant to cost like a lot more than a local pool, you get different options. So that's why but I'm going to go on to the Icelandic word, which is kind of more of a phrase of the episode. And that is Kuoma au ovart. Kuoma au ovart. And I'll say that one more time. Kuoma au ovart. And in this, when I break it down, Kuoma means to come. Au is kind of like, can take on many different things like on, by. In this case, by is probably, by uh, is probably the best usage or word to translate and then ovart can mean roughly like accidentally by chance something of that nature and this in essence means to surprise or a surprise so kuoma au ovart it's just an episode about surprising things for first time it's iceland i thought that'd be kind of fun just to share and then random fact of the episode has to do with me coming to Iceland and I remember driving so good enough was driving it was winter time so I came in December going into January of 2013 into 2014 so I was here for like New Year's oh man it was so 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 beautiful and we were just in this one area and it smelled horribly like someone had farted in the car and I was so mad at Gunnar. And not like, you know, I'm like, I'm never going to talk to you again. But I was just like, why would you fart and not like say something or put the window down? And he's like, no, no, no. There's this, this area here of like geothermal energy. And, you know, this it's a sulfur smell. And I was like, yeah, OK, whatever. And I was like, I'm going to roll down the window. He's like, don't roll down the window. It's going to get worse. And of course, I'm already in the midst of rolling down the window. And it does smell worse than it's outside. Uh, because it is outside and not in the car as fully. And yeah, it was one of those silly moments that I always find hilarious just because I didn't want to believe that it was 
the nature, <laughs> nature's farts <laughs> instead of his. So I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you found it helpful. As well as I'd mentioned in the beginning, I just launched the All Things Iceland merch site. So definitely check that out, description box. And just as a gentle reminder, you can get 10% off by signing up for the All Things Iceland newsletter, which I give like travel tips and updates, fun updates. And of course, now discounts potentially or new things coming into the shop. So, so much happening there. And I recommend you sign up and of course, check out the new shop and all the really cool Icelandic themed items that I have in there. As always, thanks for listening. Thank you.